Hi, everybody. It's good to see you. So I want to tell you about uh, possibly the best Christmas gift I was ever given. A few years ago, my in-laws, they gave me a copy of a board game called Risk Legacy. And if there's anybody here who knows anything about board games, their ears just perked up because this is a legendary game. Uh, Most of you are probably familiar with the game of Risk, like you've got a board with a map of the intercontinental world broken up into continents and countries and territories, and you have these little soldier pieces, these armies that you're trying to take control over everything with. And Risk Legacy is like that, but it is so much more. Uh, What you're supposed to do with Risk Legacy is you gather together a group of uh, five people, and you commit to playing 15 games of Risk together. And it's so worth it because with each game of risk, the board evolves and changes. So every time you play, it looks a little bit and a little bit more different. And by the end of it, you are playing a game that nobody else has ever or will ever play because it's framed around the people who are a part of it. So I got together uh, four of my friends and I took some time picking through who I wanted to spend 15 games of risk with. There's not many people that I would want to do that with. And uh, they agreed to be a part of this, which shows how good of friends they were. And the very first thing you do is you pull out the board and you sign the back of it, committing to play all 15 games together. And over this year-long risk tournament, we got to know each other in ways that we never would have if it wasn't for this game. Like, I share a bond with these four guys that I don't share with anybody else because of the things that we experience together. I know that sounds silly talking about a board game, but it's true. So we got to know each other really well, but we also got to know this game really well. And it wasn't too long before we began to have the sixth sense of whether or not we were going to win a game or not. It was maybe 30 minutes into a game where we knew if we didn't have any chance of winning that particular game. And one of the most fascinating things to me was watching how each of us at the table played the game differently when they realized that they had no chance of winning. So one person at the table, they would gather together, they would do like the most illogical things. Like they would gather their soldier pieces together and create this nomadic tribe that just traveled across the world for no reason. Like they weren't going anywhere in particular They just wanted something to do while they waited for the game to be over. Me, if I knew I wasn't going to win, I would eat. We had a snack table, and we all brought snacks, and I ate all of the snacks. And it was a win-win situation. I won, they won, it was a good night. Uh, One of us would take all their soldier pieces and create this impenetrable stronghold in Canada that would last for the remainder of the game, because why not? There was nothing else to do. One legendary night... Two of the people at the table, they made an alliance with each other, and they agreed not to attack each other for like 10 turns or something like that. And in the middle of these 10 turns, one of them decided that it would be better for them to betray their partner. And so he attacked his partner right where he was vulnerable because he wasn't protecting himself because they had this alliance going on. And he just like totally decimated him. Like there was almost no soldier pieces left in the game. And when this person who just got betrayed realized what happened and realized that he had no chance of winning the game, he was furious. And so he stood up from the table and he looked at the person who betrayed him and he said, have you ever been hiking and you're walking through a field 
and in this field are some weeds, and they're the weeds with those little burrs with like the, the needles on them that stick into your skin. And, and as you're walking past the weed, one of these burrs gets into your sock. And with every step, the bird just digs deeper and deeper into your sock. And then he knelt down so that his, his, his mouth was right next to his ear. And he said this, I'm going to turn my mic off. And he was for the rest of the game. It got really quiet after that. It was so exciting. This game is incredible. Like, it just brings out sides of you that you never knew were there, myself included. Like, we all had a night that we were embarrassed by ourselves by. Like, it was awesome. But it's so interesting how we played differently when we realized that we couldn't win. Now, the past couple months, we've been looking uh, through some pretty challenging verses in Ephesians. Uh, these are verses that have exposed how we have become consumers of church instead of participants of it. Um, they have shown us uh, the power that our words have to do some serious damage. Uh, we've talked about how we have become a part of a culture of theft and we celebrate it. We've talked about our anger and seen the damage that our anger can do. And last weekend, if you were here, we had this beautiful weekend where we talked about love and it was beautiful and we were encouraged and we laughed and we cried and maybe that was good because take a look at the verses we're going to look at today. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving for you may be sure of this. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. How about we just sing some songs and go home? And, and, and just skip over this. So, as Christians, like our goal you could say is to become like Jesus. Like that's how we would kind of define winning. And throughout our life, if we get exposed to thing after thing after thing that we need to work on and fix and overcome and erase and forgive others for and be forgiven for, and we just feel the shame and the condemnation piled on us over and over and we feel less and less like Jesus if we feel like that we have no chance of winning the game, how does that change the way that we play? How does that change the way that we live our lives? Like if you believe that the best you can do is just hang on to your salvation until the game is over, I think you're wrong. And believe it or not, I think the verses that we just read prove it. And I know they come off as kind of aggressive at first, and that's mostly my fault. I'll take the blame this time. So let's look at them one more time. It says this, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. 
Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, I know that these verses come off as pretty strong, and honestly, it sounds like they're saying, if you don't cut these things off, you're you're going to hell. But that's not what it's saying. Like the most intense phrases in this passage, uh, they have no inheritance in the kingdom, or, or the wrath of God comes upon them. Those are actually written in the present tense. Like, they're not talking about something that will happen. They're talking about something that does happen now if we get caught up in those things that Paul, the guy who wrote this, is warning us against. So these verses, they are talking about our present reality. And Paul is saying here that we cannot lose track of what our present reality is. We cannot forget where we are. And Jesus called it the kingdom Now, we could spend hours talking about what the kingdom is, but for the sake of today, let's say the kingdom is everything that we have with Jesus that we did not have before. Like, if you can remember your life before you had Jesus and your life now, the difference there is the kingdom. Or if you've known Jesus your whole life, if you can imagine where you'd be at today if you had not known Jesus up to this point, the difference there is the kingdom The kingdom is where we find the fullness and wholeness of everything that our souls long for and need and desire. It is complete wholeness. When Jesus was trying to explain what the kingdom was, he said it was like a man who walked through this field and he saw this treasure. And when he found this treasure, he went home and he sold everything that he had so he could buy this field and have this treasure. He said it was like a man who was shopping for pearls. And when he came across the most incredible pearl that he had ever seen, he went home and he sold everything that he had just so he could have this one pearl. And those men, they sold everything that they had because they realized if they just had this one thing, if they just had the kingdom, they wouldn't need anything else. This was everything that they could want and need. It is complete wholeness. Now, to all these negative things that Paul says that we should avoid, like sexual immorality and purity and covetousness and all those things, he sums them all up into one word, and that's idolatry. Idolatry is the opposite of the kingdom. Idolatry is constant, insatiable want. It is never being satisfied. Idolatry is believing that there is something that you're missing and being consumed with acquiring that thing that you are missing. But the thing is, out of these things that Paul lists is they are empty. Like no matter what we are looking for in those things, we will never ever find it. They make promises that they can't fulfill. And that is the exact opposite of the kingdom. So Paul is saying we live in a reality, the kingdom, where we have everything that we need. So why would we get distracted with this idea that we don't? Because if we believe that there is something that our soul is missing that we can't find here, it means that we have forgotten where we are. And that must not happen. Like these verses, they could come off as like shaming or condemning, but I really don't think they are. I don't think they could be more matter of fact. I think Paul is saying we live in a reality where we have everything. So to act like we don't is just a waste of time. It's, it's pointless. So stop it. 
Like, there are nights every few weeks where uh, I sleep talk and I sleepwalk, and it's usually because I'm having a pretty intense dream, usually involving my kids. So in the middle of the night, I will just wake up just screaming, and my wife will wake up, and she's like, what's going on? And I say, we need to get out of the boat. I'm like, the boat? And like, yeah, the boat's leaking. And I'm like bailing water out of our bed and say, get the kids. And I'm handing her my pillows and like shoving my pillows in her face because I think that they're our kids. Now, when we were first married, Allie was so sweet. She would like gently like talk me down from this scenario in my head and like help me to like gradually transition into where I am. But since then, she has just lost all patience for waking up to this screaming lunatic in the middle of the night. So now today, she just says, Stetson, wake up. Stop it. You're not in a boat. You're in bed. Stop it. Stop shoving your pillows in my face. And the thing is, that works better. It does. Because as soon as I realize where I am, it exposes how ridiculous those things that I was doing was. It's like, why would I be bailing water when I'm in bed? Why would I be shoving pillows into Allie's face when they're not our kids? Why would I shove our kids in Allie's face? That doesn't make sense either. <laughs> like, all, like, why am I screaming? Like, none of that makes sense. And so I just stop it. It's so matter of fact. Paul is trying to remind us of where we are to show just how silly all of those things are. It's like, that stuff doesn't make sense considering where we are. And when we realize where we are, instead of being filled with emptiness, we become filled with thankfulness as we see all of the things that we have in the kingdom. And that allows us to see what we are. And in these verses, Paul calls us saints. Now, when we think of saints, we think of people like Mother Teresa, people who have given their lives like sacrificially to this noble cause or this oppressed people, people who have been uh, memorialized in candles and stained glass windows and statues and have written books and books have been written about them. And compared to that lot of people, like, I don't really feel like we deserve to be called saints. Like, if I was the patron saint of anybody, you'd be like procrastinators or something like that. But they already have one. It's taken. There's already a patron saint of procrastinators, so I've got nothing left. But I am a saint, and so are you. It says so right here. Paul is talking to Christians in the present tense, and he calls us saints. And that might sound ridiculous to you, but because like when we think of saints, we think of these people with like this perfect track record, spiritually speaking. And compared to that, it's like we're, we're wanting. But the word saint, it just means someone who has been set apart by God for a purpose. It has nothing to do with them. It is simply the fact that they have been set apart by God. The other day I was hungry, so I opened up my fridge. And in the fridge I saw this carton of blueberries. And I said, oh, blueberries, because I love blueberries. And my wife, Allie, heard it, and she said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm saving those for a recipe. Out of the contents of my fridge, the blueberries were the saints, because we had set them apart for a purpose. And there's nothing significant about these blueberries. Like, they're just normal blueberries. We didn't set them apart because they were special blueberries, but because we wanted to use them for something. 
The only thing that sets us apart as saints is the fact that God has chosen to set us apart. And God being God, he can choose to set apart anybody that he wants to, no matter how messed up they are. And God has chosen us. And when we realize what we are, it could possibly entirely change our motivation for following the directions that Paul is giving us here. Paul's warning us not to get caught up in these things. And some people, they avoid these things. They try to obey God because they are afraid that they will be cut off if they don't. That God will eventually lose his patience and then we lose our status and that's it. But that is not the case. When we realize where we are and that we are saints and that God has set us apart for a purpose, obeying God out of that understanding looks entirely different. There are times where I drive to work during the school year and I go past Greeley Central, just catty corner to us right now. And sometimes during the school year, I will see high schoolers running around uh, the block of Greeley Central. And it is immediately clear that they are running because they are part of a PE class. Like you can tell because they're wearing like jeans and hoodies and shoes and sandals not made for running and they've got their head down and to say that they're jogging would be an overstatement like they only run when they are visible to the PE teacher with his little stopwatch and like if that guy thinks that they're running the whole way around the block like he should not be an educator okay like they they need multiple people around the block anyway like, they just look miserable, and they're, like, cutting across the grass corners, and, and it's just like, ugh, that's, that's a mess. I drive by, and I go, ha, because, like, everyone, we've all gone to PE class, and we've all had to do that. But then there are times where I drive past Greeley Central, and I see high schoolers running the exact same route, and it could not look more different. They're wearing running shoes and running shorts, and their skin is tan from being outside, and their legs are strong, and they're running in packs with this long stride and these, these cadences, and, and, and they're encouraging each other, and they're not cutting across the grass corners, and they're not walking. They're running the entire way around, and it is immediately clear why they are running. It's because of what they are. They are a part of the track team. And it looks entirely different. The PE class, they're running out of fear because they've been threatened with an F. If they get an F, their parents are called. They don't graduate the class. They don't graduate high school. They don't go to college. Their life is ruined if they don't run. And so they walk around, around this thing. The track team is running out of purpose. And it looks entirely different. When we wake up to where we are, and we see that we have everything that we need in the kingdom. And we wake up to what we are. We are saints set apart by God for a purpose. And we obey God out of that motivation. Understanding we can't get distracted with all these things that, that just suck us dry. But we have a purpose and we can't be distracted from that. That looks entirely different. And with that perspective, we are able to embrace who we are. We're able to embrace what our purpose is. And we find that in the next few verses that go like this. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 
For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. As saints of the kingdom, our purpose is to be light. But what's beautiful about the way that this is written is it shows us that it's not just our purpose, it is who we are. This says, we are light in Christ. It is who we are. And as light, we are supposed to be light in darkness. Now, darkness is not in these verses talking about like forces of evil or anything like that. Darkness is simply uh, a place where God is not visible. So as light, we are supposed to bring God in a visible way into places where he is not currently visible. Now, it's easy to read this and think it's like, I'm not necessarily the shining beacon of light. Like I'm more of an eclipse, just totally blocking it, more like. And I get that. But if we look at what a child of light does, I think you'll be encouraged. I know I was. It says, walk as children of light and try and discern what is pleasing to God. It doesn't say succeed all the time. It says try. And it doesn't say have it all figured out. It just says discern. It says try because we are human and we are not perfect and we make mistakes. And it says discern because it is not always clear what is pleasing to God. Life throws some complicated situations at us and sometimes the best that we can do is pray and listen and then just make a guess. It is in the trying that our light shines out. It's not in being perfect. And I think that shows us the nature of light that we are supposed to be. That phrase, uh, expose the darkness, it reminds me of this role that I had at this summer camp that I worked at. Um, every few weeks or so, uh, a friend of mine who worked there, we would be assigned to make out patrol, which was one of my favorite roles at camp. You got up in the middle of the night after dark, and you walked around the campground looking for campers who had snuck out together. And so you have these flashlights, and, and you walk around silently around the campground, and if you hear a noise somewhere, you go to where the noise is at, and you pull out your flashlights to expose them for what they're doing. Get back to your cabins, bad campers. It was fun. It was really cool. <laughs> I think some people use Jesus like a flashlight. Like Jesus is the light that we have. And I think some people use him like a flashlight. They shine him on people in the darkness to expose them for what they're doing. But the problem with that is, is if we are a flashlight, if a flashlight is shining in one direction, what's behind it? Darkness. I don't think that's the kind of light that we are supposed to be. I think we're supposed to be more like a lantern. Like a lantern has a flame at the very center of it. And if you place a lantern somewhere, it illuminates everything. The, the table that it's on, the ceiling, the walls all around it, even the person holding it. And no matter what angle you look at this lantern from, all you see is light. I don't think we're supposed to be a flashlight of light. 
I think it's supposed to come from our very being. We're not supposed to wield light. We're supposed to be light. And if you think about how light and darkness interact with each other, if light enters a dark place, the darkness is just simply overcome. It's just, there's no fight involved. All light has to do to defeat darkness is just be. And we are light and we are meant to be light. When we weaponize light, people hide. But when we just cast light, people are drawn to it. Especially when light reflects off of our own dark places. Think about it. How many of us have heard a sermon from someone who used Jesus as a flashlight, shining it on all of us, exposing us in, in our sin and our darkness, acting like they had it all figured out? We go home from those thinking, what a hypocrite. But what about the times where people have come up here and they've been open and honest and vulnerable about the ways that they have just been utterly failing but seeing what they've read, they share with us how they are trying to figure it out and they cast light off of their own dark places and it reflects as light back to us. We go home from those thinking, wow, I saw Jesus today. In these verses, Paul is not using Jesus like a flashlight trying to expose us in our darkness for how terrible we are. He is simply trying to get us to wake up to where we are, to what we are, to who we are. Look how he ends this verse. He says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Are you trying to find fullness in a world of emptiness? Wake up. You're in the kingdom. You have everything that you need are you trying to obey God out of fear that he's going to cut you off? Wake up. You are saints. God has already set you apart and there is work to be done. Do you think that you are too messed up to shine Jesus to anybody? Wake up. You are light. It is your very being in Jesus. We make it so complicated we believe that because of the things that we've done and the things that we tell ourselves that we are, that we aren't good enough. And so we pile on the shame and the condemnation and we, we give ourselves this narrative that like, if we can get our lives together, if we can overcome this addiction, if we can do this thing, if we can forgive that person or, or receive forgiveness from this person or do all these impossible things that we can't do 100% as human, human beings, then we can be light. But that's not how it works. To all that, Paul just says, wake up. That's not your reality. You are light. The hardest area of my life to accept these things is true is my job. Like a week or two before I come up here to speak to you like this, I am so aware of my thoughts and my words and my, uh, my actions because if I'm being honest with you, I am afraid I am afraid that if I mess up in my own personal life badly enough, God won't be with me when I come up here. And that would not go well. There are so many parts of my job where I feel that same way. 
But the only way that I can function in this job is if I wake up and remember where I am, the kingdom, and that I am a saint set apart by God to be light. I really struggle with the title of pastor. Like anytime anyone calls me pastor, in my head I immediately just put up my hands and think, you have no idea who you're talking to. Like as I read through these verses, I think sexually immoral, check. Impure, check. Covetous, check. Filthy, foolish, crude, unthankful, idolater. Yep, that's me. I know that there are people who have this idea that people with a title of pastor or anyone who works in any kind of ministry is somehow further set apart by God from the rest of the Christians to, to do these things. But if there is anything that having a title of pastor has taught me is just how utterly untrue that is, don't believe it for a second. I chose a vocation. God has chosen you. You are saints. You are light. Wake up. And if you're hearing this, and you're at this spot where it's like, I hear what you're saying, but it still doesn't apply because I am not sleeping. This is my reality. Like there is no way that these things can be true of me. I'm not asleep. I am dead. There's no resuscitating possible here. Well, the way that Paul, he finishes this verse, it reminds me of this story where Jesus, he was walking through this town and he uh, approached this house and all around this house were people who were weeping and mourning. And he walks into the house and in the middle of the room is the body of this little girl who had just died. And there's people in the room just sobbing. And Jesus walks in and he says something incredibly insensitive. He, he says, why are you weeping? This girl's asleep, not dead. And they laughed at him. And for the people who laughed, Jesus said, get out. And when the room was clear of those people, he walked over to this girl and he grabbed her hand and he said, wake up. And she did. If you're feeling like that, I believe Jesus is walking into the room, so to speak and to the voices that have been telling you that you're not good enough, that you're dead, that it's not just a dream, like this is your reality, Jesus says, get out. And he's walking up to you and grabbing your hand and telling you to wake up. Let's pray. Okay, so maybe... Um, in all this, maybe you feel like you're waking up to something or maybe you feel like you've woken up to something. And I want to give you this space to um, process those things with Jesus. So it's not just me talking up here, but I want to just step aside so you have a chance to talk to Jesus about these things. So if it's helpful, imagine that you are sleeping and you're dreaming and you hear this voice saying, wake up, and you open your eyes and you sit up in bed, and sitting at the foot of the bed is Jesus, and he's holding onto your hand. If he were to ask you, what were you just dreaming about? What would you tell him?
and, and just take this time right now to respond to him in that because he's here and he is listening. And maybe if you were to put kind of your present reality in the form of a dream, maybe you were dreaming about where you were. Maybe you were dreaming about what you were. Or maybe you were dreaming about who you were or something entirely different. But I just want to give you a few minutes of precious quiet to just talk to Jesus about these things. Go ahead. So just staying in that posture of prayer, um, what I want to do is I want to sing a song over you that's really fitting to everything that we've just talked about. Um, so stay where you are. Don't try to sing to this song. In fact, I would encourage you not to and just sit and listen and let these words just speak over you and, and sing to your soul and remind you of these true things of, of who you are, of what you are, and how God sees you. And don't let this distract you if you need to be doing something else during this time, just between you and Jesus. Don't let this get in the way. Just let it fade in the background. So light, this burden is so light. 
lifting my Lord. You're lifting my Lord. You're lifting my Lord. You're lifting my Lord. 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 Lifting my Lifting my Lord. 